You're listening to These Are The Days. Welcome to These Are The Days, a podcast from me, Ronnie Costello. Thank you to everyone who listened to At My Table. Who knew biting your nails was a hobby to some? Others were bankrupting bitches at Monopoly, baking cheesecake and dipping fingers into Fraser's pot. Uh, thanks for being part of the podcast by listening, subscribing and sharing. Uh, we are at The Days Podcast if you aren't following us already on social media and you can subscribe on Apple, Google and Spotify. You can also stream or download at SoundCloud and check out the website www.thedayspodcast.com These are the days. My guest this week is known to most as Shug and I first met him about 15 years ago when he was the lead singer in Dundee band Page Six. Nowadays, he's a partner at Muir Miles Laverty Solicitors. We'll discuss the band, the gigs, stories on the road, as well as why he's not your typical lawyer. This is episode 17 of These Are The Days, from singer to solicitor, with Ryan Russell. Follow the podcast on social media. We're at The Days Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Ryan Russell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving up your time. Uh, we've got a few things to get through um, in terms of your career. You've already mentioned it off mic that you know you're not a typical uh, guy that gets in and being a solicitor stuff like that. But I want to start right at the start from when I first got to know you, and music yes. was your thing, which we think was about fourteen, fifteen years ago or something like that. At least that, yeah. Tell us how you got started. Tell us where it all started for you in music. So music, um we were speaking about one of our uh well, one of my good friends at school, Beastie. Yeah. Played in obviously Louvain and so on. And he was always playing the guitar and I just started pestering him out fifth or sixth year to try and teach me how to play guitar. Started there and then obviously my pals um from the ferry and Mark Campbell, obviously one of my best pals, and uh, now in America, um, we started playing in my garage. That that was kind of it. Mark was kept on, you know, teaching me to play guitar, and eventually we got a few songs together, and we're like, you know, we should maybe do something with this, and mm. you know, um, played our first gig in the Westport, which obviously I remember well. Um, I think there's a video somewhere of it. I'm not sure I'd want to see it. <laughs> Actually, I do remember the first song, the first song we ever played. And honestly, it was about a hundred miles an hour and we played about the first four bars and had to stop and start again. But, um, yeah, so no, just got into, got into the music at uh, school, um, from Beastie and that playing and went from there, learned the guitar, me and Mark sort of jamming in the garage. And then we, um, brought on board the other couple of guys and sort of went from there. And page you know. six was born. Page six was born. Did yeah. you go through yeah. any other names? Not really. Um, I'm not really, I think that. I think that was Mark's idea, you know. Yeah. Um, it just, it's, you know, it's one of these things that just kind of stuck. And for people, for people that don't know the band, yeah, tell us about how you would describe the band. Bearing in mind they were there or thereabouts, you were there a wee bit before guys like the View and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, but a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. I think we were. So in the early days, because we were probably playing for about four or five years before the View came along. And, you know, there, there was not a huge amount happening on the Dundee music scene at that point in time. I think, you know, the, the gigs used to consist of us and Killer Angels, like Carmen, Tony, who were big pals of ours at the time, guys like Non-Zero, 
um, you know, they were good guys that were playing secrets. We've told like Craig Parker and that who are now in the, you know, they do um, Franco and they've got like their, their wedding band who are like one of the most successful wedding bands going around. So these guys were all playing, but there wasn't a huge scene, mm. you know, and the type of music we were playing at the time, we, our bass player, Graham, was, you know, right into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Mark, the guitarist, he had really had his own style on guitar and still does. Very John Frusciante-esque, you know. And um, that sort of combination has led us down a sort of a, a sort of funk route, you know. And then, so yeah, it was a bit of a mashup between funk and indie. And that's kind of where we went. And then I did play guitar, but often he just got punted off the guitar and then used to just dance around the stage like a, a bit like a performing monkey. So, but... Um, <laughs> That, that was the sound. That was always the sound. You know, it was always, you know, I, it's quite funny. Mark is in America and the, the Page Six album, well, we'll probably talk about, it's about, I'm about to put it on Spotify and iTunes because people always yes. ask me all the time. And, I, and, and <laughs> it's never been there, so it's going on. But what Mark did just uh, about oh, two weeks ago, sent me everything we'd ever recorded. Like oh, everything. Oh. And oh, I'm oh. glad you're saying, oh, oh, because... <laughs> Some of it is so horrendous, right? Mm. It's it's laughable, right? That but bad. It's, it's no, but it's laughable because we thought we were so cool. Uh, well, yeah. We thought we were so cool, but it really, it really, <laughs> it really wasn't. But then we've actually agreed that we project what we're going to do. He's going to re-record some of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to like, well, he'll send them to me and I'll go and take the vocal files, you know, and we'll go and, we'll go and do that. So Try and but, update. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a couple of, I think there's a, there, there was a lot of songs, but there was a couple that, you know, it would be good to do justice oh. to now and maybe sort of just see how they they, they turn out. Um, so we're, ha- we're having a good laugh about that, but it was definitely a heavy funk sound. Yeah. I don't think the early songs really, I think they were always decent live. There was always a good groove and a beat for a live performance, but I don't think until we recorded the Page Six album um, that we ever managed to sort of capture the live performance in a recording, mm. you know, which was sort of, I don't know, commercially attractive because we always seem to enjoy the gigs. How did the album come about? How does it come about that it's a young band for Dundee then bring out an album? Because it was probably a wee bit unheard of, but then I would have thought there'd been a lot of EPs flying. Yeah, out. yeah, we did. We did. We did loads of recordings. We did loads of recordings, um, you know, EPs and stuff like that. But how did the album come about? Well, we were sort of we were just you know going through the motions but by by the time we did the album the view were kicking off and you know the law and the scene was absolutely buzzing at that time and we kind of realized that well funk is not really happening here so we need an element of that but we kind of need this sort of you know a different sound so i'd been at uni i'd done my law degree i'd qualified and i was you know you're meant to start a two-year traineeship that's kind of a big thing. So I started Mines and I was working up in Aberdeen for a firm called Aberdeen Considine and um, they were meant to be opening an office in Dundee. So I was travelling up there. I was doing conveyancing and honestly, it was like, I mean, I had a job once peeling carrots all day and that was better than doing the conveyancing. So um, I genuinely, I hated it. I absolutely hated it and the, the mind was still on the band. So I, I, you wouldn't believe it, I, I, I quit. I just quit and quit in a traineeship, a legal traineeship to become a lawyer. It was quite a big deal. I remember telling my mum and dad. I bet that went down well. Uh, yeah, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't. It didn't really. I mean, yeah, talk about lead blind. Not only did I quit, I was like, I'm going to concentrate on the band. Um, so that's how the album came about. And um, what I did was I quit 
the Chinese ship. And I, I just, I think I needed to get out of my system. You know, everything that I'd, mm. you know, the, my head was still in the cloud of the band. And um, so what we did is me and Mark and the guys, we wrote an album, we recorded it with Robin Sutherland, who's obviously a well-known guy, you know, around. We did that. We sort of saved up all our money from gigs. We did it. We got it um, mastered by a guy, Dave Collins in LA. And then we got all the artwork done. Um, really sort of putting it a lot of effort into sort of new sound, new songs, and um, which we were a lot, lot happier with. And then what we did was, I think the sort of, the key thing that happened to page six, not only were the songs better in my view, like the latterly, but um, we got this big red posty van, mm-hmm. which was a complete game changer. <laughs> I, was, I, I was going to mention the yeah. van, but I'm so, glad you've brought it up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but that, that really was, I mean, that was a game changer for us because, you know, you could be the best band in the world, but if nobody's hearing your songs, then, you know, it's pointless. Well, not, you'll still enjoy it, but your name won't get out there. So we kind of realised, well, we've got this great album, we think, but we need to get it out to as many people as possible. So what we did was we bought this posty van and we plastered page six all over it. Do you remember, do you remember how much it cost? Uh, not much. No? Not, not, not much. No, I mean, honestly, I think I still have nightmares about that van. Because one time I was driving over the Frighton Bridge and I nearly like drove into Tay. I mean, it was a bit rickety. <laughs> like, oh, it, was it was less than a grand. It was less than a grand. And so, so you plaster page six on it. Yeah, yeah. So we plaster page six over it, and um, we, the, the idea was when we had that album launch, then we um, we started parking it in kind of highly illegal places, uh-huh. like quite a few times where everybody would see it. Mm-hmm. So like at the intersections, like coming in the Dundee and various bits and pieces, and it got moved from the police like a few times. But then Stuart Webster, uh, um, uh, Radio Tay, he was he was amazing with us. Mm-hmm. He was just brilliant because he cottoned on to it and then they did, you know, where's the page six van today? And, you know, we seemed to be on the radio every other day and they were playing the songs. And then when it came to doing our album launch, you know, at the doghouse, remember, it was unbelievable the momentum we'd gained because that night, you know, there was five, six hundred people in the place and there was five, six hundred people down the street, you know, and you couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't, yeah. So, and that, so that really sort of kicked things off for us. You know, we we got a lot of buzz about that. And then obviously at the same time, we did the same thing in Glasgow and various other places, parking the van, you know, like we'd sort of build up and do gigs and it just got our name out there, got a lot of attention. You know, and then went from there. So, do you, uh, had all you guys sort of n- not working, but it saved up money and stuff, and it was a pure self-sufficient project? Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Every penny that we ever made, which wasn't much, was going back into you know funding the album, mm. the gigs, and stuff like that. Uh, to be honest, probably our pals paid for the album because you know what it's like back back in the day. You know how many how many mates can you drag along? You know to your gigs, and you know. If you're making any money, it was all going back in. We all had jobs at the time, mm. you know, and that's almost the difficult thing because we sort of further on, two years down the line after we'd been abroad and done a few festivals and bits and pieces, you know, th- there was that next stage for us. And that next stage was quite difficult because everybody had commitments and it was like, right, well, we're needing a break anyway, you know, mm-hmm. but we were getting interest from labels at the time to release, you know, um, something. And it, it was like, you know, what, what's your next album sound like? And we were like, well, we've got three songs, you know. But, you know, you're taking time off all to go to places and do gigs all the time. It, it was hard. So it was just, yeah, it was all our own all, all, all our own money. And how, good, how good was the travelling side of it? Amazing. So, you know, getting, we, we did like a video diary 
um, quite a lot, you know, going places and what to laugh. Because, you know, the best thing about it was we just used to take all the boys, all our friends, you know, all, all your mates. Um, you know, I remember when we played Rock, rock Ness. Um, you what know, that, a festival, by what the way. What a festival. That I, I still say that. I think that's my favourite. You know, I don't know what it was. One of the best bits about Rock Ness is when you come up for the campsite, you come over the hill. Yeah, and look down, <sighs> look down on the main stage and Amazing. it's all there. And even, even when we went up to Rock Ness, hey, we, we just went berserk, like handing out flyers and sort of made, you know, a massive sort of scene. We had the van, but, you know, I don't know, looking back, you know, the best thing about it was, you know, I took like six or seven of my best mates up and, and we got to do that. You mm. know, it was just, it was just amazing. Do you remember what year that was? Or who else was on the bill? Uh, I went the year Daft Punk played. And well, the law were there, because I was speaking to Sheer Purvey at the time. I remember yeah. he was there. But that um, was just, I, 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 the biggest thing was seeing Daft Punk live, which is, the, I don't think they've ever played in the UK since. But um, it was such a, when you realise the kind of venue you were in and the, what yeah. you seen, and then you saw like Daft Punk, Daft Punk and more people there than the headliner of the yeah. Manix on the main stage. It was yeah. frightening. I was no, only there no. one day, but it was, what yeah. a place. I, it's, no, it's such a shame. Mm-hmm. that obviously it's not going on anymore because it was just yeah I went a few times but I think we played once or twice but the, the one time we played it was Razor Light headlining okay because I remember me and Mark tried to get like on the main stage at the back we didn't get very far but um, yeah I remember that um, but you know the time that we played that sticks in my memory Cage the Elephant were on after us immediately after us and it was packed out that was the first time I'd seen Cage the Alpha. And they're, they're still, they're a big band now. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the American festivals, they're high up the bill. The guy's absolutely off his head. Like, he, I mean, really, the guy, what a front man. You know, he is, he's on another level. Yeah. Well, he's on something, put it that way. <laughs> he's on another level. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, camping out in the van, you know, and uh, it was quite funny. I can't really mention any names, but hopefully some of my pals will listen to this. But I remember... <laughs> The page six van, right? We along the top it had we like we had that kind of beds, and then it had like the, the the big boot where we used to keep all the gear, mm. and then one of our pals met a girl, obviously right, and went in the back, and then we put the padlock on. In the morning, we got up and we went and got breakfast and did our sound check. We came back and the van was rocking, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> and honestly, um, it was so funny, like because we obviously we'd locked it and they couldn't get out. Yeah. And um, so yeah. they got busy. Eh? They got busy. They, uh, <laughs> well, I don't. I, I don't know if she was like desperately trying to escape, but I mean, the kind of she, she wasn't. She wasn't the prettiest. Like, yeah. She sort of she wouldn't when the door opened. She sort of galloped away into the hills. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, here, if any time you get throw one of your mates under the bus, literally. So yeah, I'm not funny. naming any names. <laughs> that's fine. He can he can admit to it. It's yeah. all right. Yeah, <laughs> but t- tour was good. Gigs were good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the gigs gigs were great. I mean, we did. I say after the sort of the the, the album launch, you know, the gigs were really good. That's mm. what I'm saying. We we played for about five six years, and honestly, the amount of gigs we did to nobody, you know, like like everybody does, um, you know. The, but there were so many good gigs, so 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 many, you know, uh, special gigs that we sort of look back on, mm. you know. And we did a lot of really good support gigs as well, and then we obviously done loads of gigs with the View, the Law. When the scene was buzzing, places were packed out. There was nothing better. Um, you know, we sold out King Tut's two or three times. We took bus buses through a full of people. It was they was oh, amazing. They were special nights, you know, as well. You know, you're in King Tut's and you're through the back and you see like you know the set lists for every band that's played there. And um, 
yeah, they, that 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 was amazing. And then obviously we went, we did um, went away abroad to um, Russia. I mean, we did a tour in Russia, and one of our songs was out there, and that was mad. You know, like how up. how does that come about? So we there was a there was um we had a manager um this guy Alex who was kind of managing us at some point and he was just kind of putting us everywhere and we were getting various things and there was a girl who worked for Fender in Russia who loved one of the songs which was called Lovers Lovers but don't know it and um, they absolutely loved that song and they were wanting us to go out and they were talking about wanting to release it bits and pieces like that happened we were like nah this is never going to happen. And then there was a Russian band that were doing a tour and they flew us out, all expenses paid. Um, it was madness. We played in Fat Sam's the night before eh, and it was just brilliant. Like we got in like, you know, two in the morning, Fat Sam's, second floor, you know, the cool place. Yep. Um, that was amazing. And we'd literally had an amazing gig, got up at two in the morning, went away to Russia. And obviously, I'm not going to lie, I mean, just think you're, think you're the man. Like, you know, I'm like, here I am in the airport going away to Russia for a tour. It was it was pretty cool. It was it was amazing. So for us, that was the dream. Eh? Me and Mark from That's... playing in the garage were like, oh, imagine turning up at you know the airport one time with your, you know, your guitar, and we did. And then that first night, I got arrested at the Kremlin for. Uh, um, so we'd went. We'd had a lot to drink, and we were you know the red square, the red square, mm. like the Kremlin. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, we, we ended up in this Irish bar, and we hadn't really slept. You know what I mean from the night before. And I was, as you walk up to it, there's like a massive sort of walkway down to the big building. It's beautiful. And I was in the toilet from the start and there's all this stuff and I kept on saying, so we get behind the building, you know, it's beautiful. And I'm like, I'm mean, I'm really mean, I'm really mean. And this girl goes, I mean, right, on you go, go over there. So I go over there, but not realising that's actually the wall to the building. So the next minute, this ladder pulls up, right? Blacked out ladder. I mean, you don't see many of them. <laughs> I mean, these cops going absolutely crazy. No idea what they were saying. Yeah. Took our passports, honestly, like terrifying. Thought I was going to a Russian jail. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. So I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't a good start. But then the next night we did our first gig and um, that was in Moscow. And that was cool. A place called the B2 Club. I was, was looking at a photo recently somebody had sent me something still keep in touch with the people mm. across there they sent the photo you know and pitch up and the name was there you know and you're like wow this is amazing and then the next night we got on the sleeper train played in St. Petersburg I think that's one of my favourite gigs we ever played that was insane like that was insane played this like club it was like an underground bunker club and we played and like we had we took another drummer we, we couldn't take a normal drummer so we had like 10 songs and it was so crazy. We end up like playing like two or three more songs um, again. And then like there was people trying to get on the stage and it was just amazing. And I always remember like my two best pals like um, phoning them because our train was leaving to go back to Moscow and we literally came off the stage and like people were like, hey, and we didn't get a chance to say it. And I was like, man, this is, this is like, this is amazing, you know? So, but when I look back now, just amazing memories. Mm, what, then, I mean, what a time. What no, it was, it was, it was, and I'm assuming it it's just one of these opportunities. You're just thinking, we can't turn this down, we've got to go. Yeah, I know. But when when you when that was happening, like you know, you're enjoying it, but you're you're kind of thinking, right, you know, what what's going on? You know, what, is this is this us now? Like we, there was a, there was really a, at some point there was a real bit of momentum, you know, and that stuff, you know, from going playing the garage to things like that. But we were just all, we were always having a laugh and having fun. You got a favorite venue or a favorite gig? 
Um, favorite gig. I mean, I, I almost look at the band in two 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 sections, like the early days. You know when we weren't we weren't good at all. <laughs> well, some people may say we were never good. <laughs> some people would agree with that, but um, but you know the early days, there were some great gigs because we were just young lads having fun yeah. with their mates, and then. Like that gig in St. Petersburg, honestly, that that will stay with me forever because that was just mad mm. and I always loved that. And then the album launch, King Tut's, you know, any time yeah. you played King Tut's Rock Ness, these gigs, you know, um, yeah, like so many, but yeah. So many. Just, and like you say, it's a, it's a good time of it. And we mentioned the album, we never mentioned the name of the album. Yeah. Tell us about the name. It's called it's called The Many Facets of Walter. I don't really think I had much to do with that, if I'm being <laughs> honest. That ter- was my next question. It's a ter- How's that come up? I don't know, but in reflection, it's a terrible name. I just think it's quite, it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't sound right. Um, I think I'm going to blame that one on Mark, to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to blame that on Mark. I think Many Facets of Walter was like, you know, there was a few different sounds going on the album. And we had this song that we used to play it always at the end of our set called Walter's Ego. And it was just, it was basically a ripoff of a Rage Against the Machine riff. And it mm. was quite funky. And I think the idea was the different sounds on the album, like the different, you know, the funk, the sort of indie, the sort of rock. Um, it was like the different sides of the band. And yeah, it was a sort of play on that. Really. Yeah. But it's so, Mark's fault. Yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark um, used to get a blame for quite a lot, but I don't. I mean, I've I've chilled out a lot since I've had kids and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, poor Mark, he had to put up with a lot. He really did. Well, they all did, to be fair. But yeah. um, you know, I guess, yeah. I, I just, I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to the album coming out to to hear that again because back in the day when you got it, you either bought the album or it maybe yeah. went on a MySpace. Once yeah, that went, no. it went, and that, I'm no joking. I've probably had about ten copies of that album. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do. I mean, genuinely, a lot of people still ask. You know, why, why, why is it not on iTunes? And why is why, why have you not got it? You know, I actually didn't even have a copy of it until like not that long ago, yeah. which is quite surreal. But um, it's actually something you know, just just as a memory, keepsake that I should mm. have. But um, yeah, so it's 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 going on. I think I'll probably be on the next three four weeks. No, I'm, ge- I'm generally um, looking forward to it, mate. Honest, I, yeah, it's, so. it's, I really am. I'm only putting the album. I'm not putting the earlier stuff on. <laughs> Just the album. The album's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. So you mentioned Mark. What's what's he up to these days? Oh, Mark's um, living the life. He is. So Mark, when I sort of when we had a break, when um, did the break happen? Then I don't know. I've been a qualified lawyer for about ten years, and sort of he went to New York around about that time so about 10, 11 years ago so okay. he just went for a holiday and he's been there since he's, oh. obviously he's now married to um, lovely Caitlin she's from Georgia uh, she's a musician as well um, so yeah so he went for a holiday never came back and um, he's played he did his own thing across there and then about maybe about well you know what it was when he came across for my wedding and that was, and, <laughs> and I checked my tattoo just to find it when we got married. No, no. So Mark came across and he got a text from his mate at our wedding saying, look, when you come back, do you want to come and jam with this band? And then about six months later, they were signed to like massive record label. I think it was Island Records, like one of the first mm. ones they signed to. And it just went from there. So five or six years, Mark's band, Mr. Wives, they're like huge, like mm-hmm. I mean, what are they like? What kind of band would they, how would you, what would they sound like for people that are maybe listening to this and want to check them out? Uh, 
Yes, well, it's quite hard because it's a female, it's a female vocalist. Oh, cool, Mandy. She's amazing, ridiculous voice, really sort of amazing front woman. So she just, you know, like not like a female Mick Jagger, like you know, but a young. Yeah. She's about the stage. She's got a great presence. Um, they're sort of you know pop rock, you know that type of uh, music. It's kind of hard to describe, but you know. And you, and you just mentioned they've just been on a, quite a cool tour. Yeah, we've done. They've done loads and loads of different tours, but Twenty One Pilots, obviously one of the biggest bands yeah. in the world. I mean, you know, they're the biggest selling band, like you know, online. And they did the stadium tour again with them at the end of last year, and they're on stage with them a couple of couple of times, you know, um, a night playing songs with them. So they're really into the band, Mister Wives, and um, they've got a trumpet player, Jesse. Um, he was on stage with them as well, and then. One night, Mark, they do a thing at the start I was telling you about. Yeah. The start of the show where 21 Pilots get their fans to sort of introduce them and then it cuts to them playing on stage. And then, you know, me and Mark, I love 21 Pilots just, just because I've been into them for a while because knowing that Mark knows them and stuff like that, he introduced me to them. And one night he sends me a WhatsApp and like, it's like the stadium. I think it was like, what? Could it have been the Staples Center? I think, no, no, no. I'm telling a lie. It was Las Vegas. It was the MGM Grand. Okay. And um, decent venue. Decent venue. <laughs> and so you could see it, and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a gig, and you've got the huge screens. Yeah. And it's somebody videoing, right? And, and Mark's face comes on the screen, and it's like, hi, it's Mark from Mr. Wipes here. And he is the one that introduces 21 Pilots, and then it cuts to the stage, and Mark introduces them. He's on the stage with them. I mean, that's just like, yeah. you know, it's about 50, 60,000. How's his accent? Not good. <laughs> Not good. Honestly, that is such a good question. So, I mean, I haven't spoken to Martin about 15 oh years. Oh my God. So, so you know just... what? I don't know how controversial you want me to be, but um, Mark's, Mark's accent... Because I hope he listens to this. And I think no, he, he, he will. will. He definitely Brilliant. will. Yes. He, there's no doubt about that. So Mar- <laughs> Mark's accent, um, you know what? If, if he's speaking to me for any length of time, he's still there. But I mean, you know, just try and picture or imagine a half American half Scottish accent but I'll tell you this now right it's not as bad as his brother's oh oh. so Mark's brother now lives over there as well and Mark will be absolutely creasing himself as many of my mates will be and we went across for um, Mark's wedding in August last year and not not August last year the year before and uh, me and a few of the boys and Mark's brother obviously he's a couple years older Stuart and he's a great lad but he's been there for a few years now and he's got a bar and honestly, like I we we just did not know what on earth was going on, you know, because it started off, you know, I just like to say, and it just went, you know, I'm not even going to do the impression. And it just like it was like me, me and all the boys, you know, we're trying to keep a straight face, but it was like, what? What what is going on? So that became a wee bit of a running joke over the weekend, but Mark's accent, yeah, no, he's still got his Scottish roots, but yeah, he's obviously got the Brilliant. the twang in the words. Like, Brilliant. so I'll, I'll, you know, to give you an example, um, you know, they'll they'll talk about you know raging, you know, and that's it. And in Dundee terms, you know, if somebody's raging, oh, you're raging, not, you're raging, you're not happy. Yeah, but but you know, Mark for for um, Mark, that's that's like a mad night out. You know, we're going raging. You know, and it's like right, okay. <laughs> That's obviously that's obviously what the kids in New York say, you know. Yeah, raging yeah. is like, you know, so you've got sometimes you just gotta catch up with Oh, that's amazing. Actually, what's that's happening. amazing. Honest to God. But he'll be wearing himself listening to it. I honestly. tell you. 
Mark, if you want to come on and defend yourself, let me know. Oh, no. <laughs> You'd be busy trying to sort his accent out, I think. Oh, that's class. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so that, that was kind of the music. You mentioned you, you went and you had to uh, train you to pick a career, really. Yeah. How did, how did it become law? Where did that, how does that happen? Well, the whole time I was playing the band, I was at uni studying law. But um, why law? Uh, Do you know what? I'll be honest with you. It was just, you know, at school. I wasn't particularly, you know, that clever at school. And mm. honestly, I went to Morgan and just got average results. But, you know, when you start thinking about what you're going to do, it was just more like, I need to do something. Mm. You know, go to uni. And I kind of had an interest that my brother's dad was a lawyer and, um, yeah, saw a few things that he was up to and thought, mm, this this could be all right. So, and then, yeah, more probably more fell into it than it was at that point in time. It wasn't something I was like, this is always what I want to do, um, which is quite ironic how strong I feel about it now and what, what you know, how much I, enjoy, I like, love the job and I'm passionate about it. But yeah, it was kind of something I fell into. How, t- how tough was the study inside of it? Really tough. To be honest, that, that's, I, I teach at the university now and, um, you know, w- w- what I'm all about when I'm teaching, you've got to teach them the theory, but I like to give them as much practical things as I could possibly mm. give them because I think that's what's helpful. But I, my view is that there's a massive disconnect between like doing a degree. Like I think, you know, studying law doesn't make you a great lawyer. You know, what you're doing is a lot of it is learning theory, a lot of it's memorizing cases, which are actually no use in practice. You know, like if I need, if I was taking on an assistant, I'm much better, you know, having somebody who's worked in an office, knows what they're doing and knows how things work than somebody who comes at university with a first, Mm. you know, it's so, um, yeah, the degree for me wasn't easy. I I didn't come naturally to me. Mm. If I'm being honest, that that's the truth. You know, I, I, just like anything struggle but you know I was probably distracted a lot of the time as well because you're still in the band yeah and that was you know and because at that time I was in the band and I was running the band you know at the time that I was the one that sort of tried to you know get in all the places and a huge amount of networking and you know, emails and all that stuff you know it probably would have been easier if I wasn't so distracted you know what I mean yeah. but, but you know me learning the guitar never came that naturally I had to stick at it um, and law at uni was the same mm. you know that it was so you're on about there and then you, you go and do this two years that you then quit yeah so what so what happens between you quitting and then going back Where, how do you get back after the band sort of it's we yeah so obviously I quit and then in, in that time um, I worked at this I had a sort of part time job at the sheriff court which was great because you know I would do like research for sheriffs and I got to know everybody and I still had my hand in if you like but mm. I wasn't doing the law I was I had total flexibility um, to do the band thing and my manager at the time he was he used to be in a band when he was younger so he used to let me away with murder um, which was great but um, when the when the Page Six album came out like I sold it to all the sheriff even all the sheriffs bought it which was which was great so. Um, they've charge, got a few quid that's no, it char- charge them charge them a tenner <laughs> rather than the usual six I think <laughs> but, um, so um, yeah but so that that was all going at the time I was working there and then what happened is when you, when you qualify as a lawyer you get two years before your diploma runs out and I got a letter from the Law Society saying you need to do this or you'll lose this mm. and um, how does that make you feel? what that it was a bit scary to be honest because you've I mean they're obviously sending that 
what three months before it finishes or six months or something yeah yeah just well a few just a few months before and you know that that we'll say five years at uni to be told that look if you don't do this soon you're going to lose your diploma and at that time you know you were paying for it as well you know so it was a lot of money mm. um so it was kind of like no no i'm gonna to have to, i'm gonna to have to do this but but by that time you know the way i was looking at things i, I was quite happy with you know we've done so many great things in the band you know and and the plan was well we never really split up we just said right we're going to take a break mark went to new york mark's missed. clearly cheated on you he's got a new yeah band. yeah no, he, I know mean, he, pl- he knew the plan all along <laughs> um, but you know it's funny because everybody says to me you know when they like there's a lot of people that kind of see like my, what Mark's doing online mm. and stuff like that. Mark, Mark was a true musician. Like yeah. Mark, I'll, I'll definitely make sure to follow. Him yeah, on that, he's a genius. Cool. The guy's a genius, right? He is an absolute genius. He's involved in so many other musical things, right? But and the band are amazing. But he's a genius. I always said that about Mark. Mark was always just going to be a musician, but um, I didn't. Well, you know, I loved it, but I didn't quite feel the same. And people say to me when they see what he's doing, "Oh, would you not want that to be you?" But. I, the answer is no but and I mean that genuinely mm. I think because we did a lot of good stuff but you know now I've got kids and I'm married I honestly couldn't wouldn't change anything mm. yeah. you know I wouldn't change anything right. um, that 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 if you asked me that 10 years ago it would have been a different answer but that's the answer now <laughs> oh I'm aware yeah <laughs> so, so you get the letter so yeah, yeah. when does is that the boot of the arse? You yeah, that, that was basically it. And that it just seemed to all happen at the same time because that was the time that we were getting the band had been really great and we were getting interest from labels, but it was all like, well, what next? And we're like, well, we wouldn't need time to write. So we're like, look, but I think we'd all spent so much time together as well that it was just like, you know, we probably need a wee bit of space from Aye. each other as well. <laughs> and that's that's what happened, you know? Yes. And then so all at the same time. So I started my my you know, my training, my two years training. And um, off Mark went and yeah, it just sort of like, you know, mm. died down for a bit. And then that's when I would say, although after that, you know, I'd still kept on playing and writing and doing bits and pieces, you know, I'm the passion that I had for the band, you know, not just the, the band, but the sort of the business side of it, you know, mm. trying to get us in there. I just, you know, took that and put it into my legal career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the exact same sort of passion that I had, you know, when, once I'm focused on something, that's kind of it. Yeah, I've always, I mean, I, I couldn't play worth a, well, worth a fuck, really, couldn't I? <laughs> but um, I was always interested in the business side of music. Uh-huh. And the same as I'm very interested in the business side of football. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's yeah, no, yeah. the actual, I mean, my days have gone of playing at 37. Um, <laughs> but the actual business side of it re- is really interesting. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've always thought they're quite interesting. I know it's obviously hard work, but it's just something that 10 years ago, I would yeah. never have been interested. But now I go... Well, it could be really interesting. You don't know. I mean, you're trying to run a band, trying to get gigs, trying to book interviews or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's hard that, going. That's the dark side of music. And and honestly, see, see, being in the band, right? It was so corrupt. Like, like the things that I used to see, and to be honest, it pissed me right off, right? I mean, you know, there was things going on at the time, right? Um, it was who you knew honestly that was so much of it and and then band like me and Mark were quite proactive and you had to be just to get in there there was a million bands trying to get in there with DF concerts and all this stuff mm. it was so hard to get the stuff but you had to be there you had to be in the right circles me and Mark were and you know that even in within the band it caused friction because the other two guys didn't do anything you're like well if you don't do you know get out there then the band's not going to get anywhere mm. 
So it was just hugely difficult, but it's definitely the dark side of music. I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, there's people that work for DF concerts, right? That were managing bands and they were getting their bands on like tea break stage and stuff like that. And see, when you used to see that, like we were selling out gigs, you know, and Huddafall and, and bands that weren't, you know, doing anything at all would get in there because, it, and you do feel, you, you feel a bit, you know, you feel pissed off and you feel let down, you know, but that's the way it was. And I'm glad you asked that question because that's the honest truth. Mm. I mean, I absolutely hated it, you know, yeah. absolutely hated that side of it, you know. If, if, we were, if we started clean now and you yeah. went into a band now, A, it's a lot easier for exposure. Yeah. It's still going to be as hard. Yeah. But you, you would feel, you'd feel much more confident given what you've seen as well. Oh, right? like, yeah. And I mean, the exposure you've, you've kind of got now, because it's a lot easier to get out because of social media, because of Spotify, because stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. There's not many things I think that do the same with what I know now. And that, I was telling you about me and Mark sending the songs to each other. That's exactly what we were saying. Yeah. Like, um, he actually, in the text message, was quoting Rod Stewart, you know, the song, I wish I know. Wish I knew what I know now. Yeah. Is that is that the song? Yeah. Um Don't tell me you've not covered that. No, no, I've not, I've not. It's a bit of a tongue twister, especially <laughs> this time. But like um no, but that that's what he that's exactly what he said. Yeah. You know, that if we if we knew, you know, what we know now, because that's what we're laughing about. Like some of the real early stuff, it was la it was just it was just bad. But we thought we were cool. Mm. You know, we were thought we were cool, but you know, but you learn so much. It's like anything. It's all like you're always learning. Just for we Touch on it. I just want to get into your training side of things. Do you mm -hmm. ever be up another page six gig? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Um. So when we were at Mark's wedding, um, Mark suggested it. They says like, so Mark comes home periodically. He's coming. His band are playing, um, in Manchester and London. I think it's end of March. Is that another band that go on a UK tour but don't come to Scotland? Well, Sorry, they did, Mark, they, I'll throw you under. They did. Well, they actually, they played King Touch. They've not released anything over here. Yeah. They don't really need to, but they they sold out King Touch yeah. last year and that was amazing. We all went there. And, um, but the, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, he is, um, well, when he talked about you, sorry, I'm just trying to think exactly what he said. The text message he was saying recently and about the wedding that we'll get, we'll do another gig when he comes back. But when that'll be, I don't know. That's don't cool know. though. Yeah, no, it is. But I never, you know what? It's not something I've ever really thought about uh, too much. And then at the wedding, he's like, no, we'll definitely do it. And Graham, the bass player, was at the wedding as well. And we're like, yeah, I think it's all something we, we know that will definitely happen. Mm. But um, sometimes he comes around the back about Christmas time. He didn't this year, but if he does next year, then, um, well, the, sorry, the end of this year, then I think we'll do it. Honestly, that'd be awesome. Give me a share. I, I think, I think be it, would, it would be good, but you know what? You remember, obviously, I, you know, used to try and pull a few moves. You know, I'm not as young anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have to stand there. <laughs> when was the last time you sung? Oh, no, I still, I still, I still sing. Yeah. Badly, but yeah. Don't I just do around it. the house? No, I do. I mean, I still write, I still write yeah. a lot of songs, you That's know. Cool. Um Still write a lot of songs. I've got, I've got songs finished. I mean, mm. you know, um, I was going to go in and obviously re like record the songs that I've got finished. But then when I was going to do that, we had another, we had the wee man, yeah. Archie, you know. So and that that kind of thing, you know, happens and you know, works busy. You know, the kids are the priority. It's, you know, we've got you know another one on the way. It's it's so it's not not really getting time. But I'm always I'm always playing, I'm always singing, I'm yeah. always not writing as much, but I've got six songs which I'm actually really happy I'm, I'm finished with, you know. So yeah. 
I'll, I'll get around to it. No, it's, it's awesome. It's, it on the, it's on the to-do list. <laughs> but how long is that to-do list? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would love to do it. I lo- I'd love to do it. I do miss, I do miss playing. Yeah. I do miss playing a lot. Yeah. I do. Because no, I did, awesome. I did my solo album as well. I mean, that's about five, six years ago. And mm-hmm. I loved that. And I had like my pal playing violin and done a big launch at the doghouse. And it was different because it was acoustic and it was very different from the mm-hmm. band, but I enjoyed it. But like, mm-hmm. you know, I like, I like to be all in something. Yeah. You know, well, I said to you before, we were chatting about podcasts and stuff, and I was mentioning this one and the other one that I do, and it's all about having someone, a hobby that's really creative. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what, you, that is obviously what you do. You yeah. know, this is what your, your thing is. It's just, you've got a little bit different given you've got a wife and kids to look after as well. So yeah. it's getting the time, but it's just something that's that we release. So if you can take yourself away for, a couple of hours and be able to yeah, write no, some def- stuff. It's, yeah. it's good, isn't it? No, no. Well, me and like one of my other pals, Dave Brown, we were we used to do like you know the Fort Festival and stuff like that, and used to do like eclectic, mm. like covers and stuff like that. And I love doing that. You you know, still do like, your Michael Jackson cover? No, I can. I can still play it. I can still play it. Yeah, we can still play it. I don't. I didn't play that yeah, live. That's a blast for the no, past. No, no, it's definitely a blast from the past. Yeah, old <laughs> Billy Jean. But we, um, me and my mate uh, Dave, uh, we would play. Um, like really eclectic songs like from like Madonna and like Erasure and then we did I think one night we were playing in the fort and we finished and then we tried to get a kebab out of cans and they wouldn't they wouldn't give us it so we pulled out the guitars and like started singing like the medleys and that there's a video of it online it's pretty funny um didn't they get a kebab though so you made money but yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um but yeah yeah, I still, I do, I do. Oh, bro, do do miss playing. It's good, good to hear, man. It's yeah, I mean, you doing something like that, and then you, you just stop. But it's good to hear you're still doing that. Yeah, well, you you mentioned earlier on Andy Mech mm-hmm. and that one of one of your parts. Yep. But so the other release that I have is like fives, five aside. And yeah. It's always a, a big a big laugh with my friends and stuff like that. You know, especially my best mate. We take it quite seriously. But that's my other release is kicking boys at fives, like Aye. you know, normally. So I'm that's, not as bad as it used to be, but but that's what Andy does. But Andy will tell you he's a player. But he's uh, not he's not quick enough to be a player anymore. He played for me for a year, like I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's quite he's quite he's quite deceiving like Andy. You know, he's a good player. He's you good, need, loves you, a gig. He lo- loves a it's gig. Questionable choice in music sometimes, but we have a good banter with that on Instagram at each other. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. he calls it my music choices, but yeah. I've told him regardless of what's in my record collection behind me you will not find a bad record because yeah. that's my that's collection your own well that's it your, it's your own personal <laughs> so taste, there's no a bad in my collection that's questionable but anyway yeah. so you get to your training yeah and you finally go back to your training so yeah, yeah. you've got to do your two years yeah. how was it interesting uh, obviously a lot of people know the famous Billy Boyle and um, when I when I um, like quit my traineeship there was loads of jobs going about and see when I needed to go back two years later, there was a big sort of crash at that time and there wasn't as many jobs going about. There was, you know, there was like the sort of property crash and things like that. So solicitors weren't taking on as many, but Billy Boyle uh, offered me a job and Billy Boyle, he's notorious, like, you know, in, in Dundee and, uh, and you know, an amazing man. He's been, he was great with me, but working with, for, for him, it's just, it was amazing because you, you get so much exposure, right? But, you know, sometimes he, he could be a really difficult boss, but the nicest man outside the work. Mm. And um, I worked for him. You might do two years training. And well, it's a long story, but basically what happened is where I work now, John, you're the senior partner. He he offered me a job. And they were like best pals, but he offered me a job like sort of halfway through. 
and um, doing like because he did a lot of employment stuff, employment law. Sorry, but he didn't want me like Boyle didn't really know that John had did that, and um, so I transferred halfway through for a fee, and they fell out about it because. <laughs> It, really, it got really, really messy is the bottom line. But um, Boyle wasn't letting me go. John wanted me to, to go. I wanted to go. And uh, yeah, it was about working for Mr. Boyle that first year. If you, Once you've worked there, you could work anywhere. <laughs> I, I just remember like there was something that always sticks in my head. I think the best thing you ever said to me is we're working on huge cases, like massive cases. Honestly, you're, you're like working day and night and working so hard and you know, if you look at anybody that's worked for Billy Boyle, like there's loads of really renowned legal professionals, like high court judges, sheriffs, like the list is endless. Great solicitors. And I'd working on this case one time for him and literally, you know, what, you know, day and night, we got the result and he didn't even say thanks or anything. And I just remember, it was just before I left, like to go up the road and, you know, we had a sort of big ding dong about it and he's just like, look, you did all right, but... You know, he's like, this is just like second division, you know, second division level. And I was like, look, you know, I'm I'm trying to teach you to be the premiership, like the English premiership. So didn't get carried away. It's basically what he said. And that is something that's always, always, always stuck in my head. So at the time, you're obviously a wee bit annoyed by that. But as a, looking back, it's great advice. It was amazing advice, yeah. But we were kind of, I don't know, I... Just the way I was at the time, me and him were close to coming to blows. There was things happening. You know, he was pushing me as hard as he could to make me better, but it didn't feel like that at the time. You know what I mean? And, um, he, we, you know, we have a great laugh. I still got a great one, mm. you know, and uh, he's a total character. And now we can have a laugh, you know, about it. He yeah. used, we used to have a thing, you know, he used to say my trousers were too tight and I wore pointy shoes. And there's always stuff going about that. But, um, yeah, so I did my first year there and then I went to Muir Miles where I am now. Um, and, you know, John, John's Muir was amazing. Like, mm. so when I first met John, John was, he had a plan for me. Eh? He says, he sort of clocked what I was about early doors and he says, look, he was the first person that Kenny said, I've got a plan for you. Look, this is what happened to me and this is what I see for you. You work hard, it'll happen. And then you know, I went up there and it's, it's come through, mm. you know, you know, I got exposure very early doors to things that I wanted to do. Like, you know, early doors, John was doing a lot of the employment stuff. So when I said, you know, I've seen a few clients and I've seen, you know, how an employment situation can affect a person, their family, their mental health. It kind of, it's all encompassing. It affects everything. And I was like, right away, I was like, no, nah, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You get a case, makes a difference to somebody it makes a difference to their whole family their life and I was like no this is for me and then the same with mental health stuff so at Muir Miles I got um, started doing like mental health work um, with people who were sectioned in hospital that were so unwell you know if you get sectioned there's a a procedure under the Mental Health uh, Care and Treatment Act that you can't be detained in hospital without going through like a court process under the Mental Health Tribunal and um, I got, I was, I think I was one of the youngest ever appointed what's called a curator, which means like um, a man of skill. That if somebody's so unwell, they can't like, you know, articulate their thoughts or go through the legal process, I would get appointed to go and step and stand in their shoes and be, you know, their voice. Um, so I got involved in that really quickly. And then that's, you know, kind of off I went. You know, and these were two things, I think, having maybe that earlier experience doing conveyancing, which I just hated, it meant nothing to me. You know, um, 
I feel differently about that now, given that I'm heavily involved in running the business at MML. But um, at the time, you know, having did that, I just thought this clicked to me. You know, I was really into things that made a difference, like mental health, the impact, you know, on on everybody involved with that. See, see, when you're when you're studying law, then do you do you then decide what kind of law you then want to practice, or is there a is that after you graduate, you then need to decide where you're going to lie because Lawyers, solicitors, whatever, anything I spoke to, they specialise in something. So you, yeah. there always have to be a choice at some point. Yeah. But could people try four or five different things and go, I don't really like that, but I'm really interested in this, yeah. hate that. So it's, it, so it's what you're in now the same as what it was at the time? Or have you changed um, tact a little bit? No, no. So you don't really, like, obviously with teaching, people ask me all the time, especially, mm. like, you know, the students. And all I say to them is, like, you've got to really get your your qualifications and then do your two years training. And normally in your two years training, you, you do like different seats and that's, that's where you'll know. You, you, that's when you're sort of getting an idea, I think. But once, I think the first time you truly know mm-hmm. um, is when you're fully qualified. Like once you're fully qualified, that's the first time you have actual choice. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it's just about getting the, the traineeship done, the two year traineeship done. Um, you know, very few people will have the luxury to say, oh, that's what I want to do in that, you know you get a you get a traineeship and your your employer tells you right you're six months in employment six months in conveyancing six months private client and six months somewhere else that's generally the way it works for a lot of people um but me my, mine's was more varied because i wasn't at a, a big firm i was just kind of thrown into the deep end mm. and that's so that's kind of what happened and then so in the second year of my traineeship i started doing employment stuff mental health stuff and criminal stuff you know doing a lot of criminal stuff as well at that time but um as soon as i qualified i i, I just you know i didn't want to be getting pulled for everything that could come through the door i was mm. like right that's what i'm going to do and that's what i'm going to do and that largely has remained the same yeah you, know? uh, you mentioned the mental health stuff which is you know i mentioned this in podcasts before that we've done episodes we've done yeah it was very much a buzzword for years and years but now yeah. there's a real big thing attached to it yeah. especially in men's mental health as yeah. well but no getting into that how is it then you've, you've touched on a little bit tell us a wee bit more about the mental health side of your work then yeah so pretty interesting um if i'm being honest so when i when i got appointed as a curator as i said explained a bit what that is about now one thing that's always shocked me is that even in dundee just alone you know you've got Carsfield, which is the main mental health hospital, but you've got maybe several mental health units, which obviously people are detained under the act, you know, and then you've got hundreds, maybe thousands of people in Dundee that are actually involved with like the community mental health team, right? So just the magnitude of how many people are actually impacted. Now, times that by the families and the friends and all that, I mean, mental health is a huge thing, but this is, I'm going back 10 years that I've been a curator now. And um, that's all. That's kind of what initially struck my interest is the magnitude of how how big this was. So when a typical case would be somebody is so unwell they get sectioned in hospital, and the mental health tribunal would appoint me to go in and um, act on their behalf in the legal process. So what would happen is I get sent all the paperwork about this person, the medical reports from the social workers, the doctors, and you read all about them. And sometimes it's like, wow, you know. This is, you know, it could, it could be ranging from people with drug-induced psychosis, dementia, learning difficulties, um, schizophrenia, anything you want. And you go in there and my job is to go and meet them, like to get to know them, like, and do that. And then what happens is I speak to the family, I speak to the doctor, speak to everybody 
and then a report back to the tribunal. Um, so that 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 would be that that's kind of what I first got involved in with the mental health and um, sort of doing that, not just in Dundee, Fife. I used to do a lot of cases in Fife, Aberdeen, like Royal Cornhill. I've done cases, some of the more, I guess, interesting cases for some people, like the state hospital, Carstairs, you know, but these are people who are, you know, obviously mentally ill, seriously mentally ill, but they've committed serious criminal offences as well. And that that's a bit of a game changer going down to Carstairs. You know, every time you go into a mental hospital, um, you know, especially the, the, the secure units like the IPCU and stuff like that, it's, you know, no phones or nothing. You're going through multiple doors and you're in there with people that can be quite dangerous and you've mm. got alarms and stuff like that. Going into places like Carstairs and stuff like that. Back in the day, like old Sunnyside and that, you know, I used to pitch up like six o'clock at night in the winter. And I mean, it looked like something out your, the worst. The building looked like something out of the scariest horror, horror movie you've ever seen, you know. Mm. Um, but just so, so interesting. Do you remember much about your first couple of cases in that? Oh. And, and how different it was to, to now, like how comfortable you are, more knowledgeable terrified. you are. Yeah. Terrified. Ter- yeah. Absolutely terrified. Eh? Terrified. You know, um, that, that there's no other way to say it. I think mm. you are. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, same like, you know, first employment tribunals, first court appearances, you know, always really, really nervous. I've known, I've known a lot of police officers and they mm-hmm. still say going to court's the most nervous thing going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it, I don't know. I understand why, but their police officers are just giving evidence. I mean, as a lawyer, you know, I mean, they police officers think it's difficult. Think about a lawyer when you've got, when you're being paid to do a job, but your job is to actually, you know, present this case, ask the questions properly, properly apply the law. Like there's so much going on. This is normally something you deal with for a year. Mm. It could be cases that people's life depends on it. Careers depend on it. There's a lot of pressure, you know, so going to give evidence. Yeah. I mean, I could speak about that with the employment stuff. Cause that's, you know, my, my big thing these days, but, um, yeah, it's giving evidence is, is definitely hard. Oh yeah, but you know, presenting cases where it's probably because you kind of read the writing in that wee tiny notebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, that that that's true. But yeah, you you do hear a lot of police officers saying that. Right? Yeah, it's one of my honestly, I don't know why, but it's one of my favorite things. Genuinely, my favorite things is cross-examining witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I did probably. I don't do the thing is as well. I don't get to do as many mental health cases now. I'm still a curator. I still do them, obviously, but I, I've just not been getting the chance. The employment mm. stuff, obviously, MML over the last five years has grown and grown and grown and grown, which is great. And that just takes up all my time, yeah. you know? And so I don't do as much. I mean, probably did do about 300 mental health tribunals, which is quite a lot. Yeah, it's quite a lot. It's a lot. But then, um, you know, yeah, the, the employment stuff is... And I'll always do that. I'm never going to give that up. Mm. Um, I'm never going to give the mental health stuff up. Yeah. Um, see, see, for being someone that's that's worked in kind of mental health with the job that you do, mm-hmm. what can we do as a society to be better with the mental health side of things? <sighs> I mean, it, it, it's yeah. easy to tell people you need to speak. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. You know what I mean? Now yeah. I imagine you've probably even found that going to places the mm. people are in because of this mental health but some of them will not want to open up it's a really hard thing it's a real start, especially yeah. in guys which is a real you know yeah. because we're, we're, we're man we're male we're, of course yeah we don't have to we don't need to be like that mm-hmm. no we do I know, you know I know I know I just it's such a it's such a hard thing and there's the, you know there's not a perfect fit 
there's for that an- there's not a perfect answer there's not a perfect fit for how how you deal with it i think that these days raising awareness and you know impressing upon people that it's okay not to be okay i think that's all you can really do you know mental health services you know the, the more services there are and the better the service are, the better it is for everybody involved. And you work with a lot of them, I would imagine. Do you yeah, I used to. Right? As I say, not too yeah. much now, um, but, you know, because of the employment stuff. But yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a quite a hard one, isn't it? If, mm. I don't know if you've seen all the stuff recently about the Cars Few, like the big report that came out last week about the mental health services. You know, and there's genuinely are a lot, a lot of good people um, that I've dealt with in and around the Dundee area and involved with mental health over the years. Um, but then, you know, there's been a lot of obviously the, you know, the, the deaths for people who haven't been sectioned that felt they should be. And that's why cast, in particular, Castro came under a lot of heavy criticism. And there's a view of being a big review of that. But it's hard. It's hard because mm. there's, you know, it's like, in some ways, it's like, you know, you go to any town, they've got their bad areas, that there's always problems and there's always going to be problems. You know, the system isn't perfect. It's hard to have a perfect system mm. that people can't fall through it and things happen. Um, you know, and as a solicitor, the stuff that I'm involved in, um, you know, you play your part for a small period of time, you know, but it's just, it's so sad. You know, I mean, if you think about the, the sort of scale as I said before, uh, like mental health issues in and around just Dundee. Like there's hundreds of people that are actually detained in hospital. There's hundreds of people that are struggling with their mental health that are not getting any treatment. Thousands, obviously, but even beyond that, there are the people who are just not detained and receiving help for it. So, and, and the web is bigger than that because, you know, if you've ever lived or known anybody that's got mental health problems, you know, it affects everybody. You know, so I'm not I'm not really afraid to say it. About ten years ago, I got physically unwell. I had this illness, and um, you know, it it absolutely spooked me, and I became really really stressed by it. And um, yeah, and it was it was strange in the sense that I'd seen all these people that you know I dealt with my mental health, and I never experienced it myself. Mm. But because I had this physical illness with the doctors didn't know what it was and I just wasn't myself for months. I thought there was something seriously physically wrong. And then it made me, it just made me so stressed and anxious. And then I was like, Christ, I can recognise this is horrendous. And, you know, doctors were trying to give me medication and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm just not doing it. I'm just not doing it. And honestly, see, to, be, to this day, I still think it's my greatest achievement was getting better from that without taking medication. Yeah. Still keep the prescription in my, in my wallet right now. Oh, to me. <laughs> that I never that I never cashed in because yeah. I was like oh, at that time, you know, um, I was like, no, I need to do this. Yeah. So, you know, I can't. I, I felt, you know, I can't. I can't go down this route. I need. To, I need to get better. And mm-hmm. then I did, and I've never. I've never ever felt that way again. Yeah, which but, is which is an amazing personal victory for yourself. It was, but that's kind of my biggest victory because you know, as I say to clients all the time, if you don't have your health, you know, what have you got? Mm-hmm. And you know, feeling, you know, that way, it was just horrendous, you know, and it it can take you by surprise, you know, just like a physical illness, you know, sort of spooking you, you know, to that extent that, you know, the physical symptoms and the stress made me like really unwell, but... um, Yeah, and again, you're in quite a high-pressure job that stress is probably goes hand in hand with. Well, yeah, to be honest, that's kind of something I thrive on. You see, well, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but when you read, if you read any sort of books about people with like sort of anxiety, it's all about distraction techniques. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, well, yeah, you're sat across <coughs> then. Eh? Um, I get, I sort of suffer from anxiety and panic attacks, but not as many now. Yeah. But again, I've I've never taken any medication for it because mm-hmm. it doesn't last long enough for me for yeah. it to be a. It's a problem at the time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But overall, it's 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 a tiny blip on what a week is. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's sometimes just I just need calm. Yeah, just yeah, calm course, and it, it's fine, you know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff like that. But in terms of, you know, you're in a real stressful environment, mm-hmm. I, I imagine. I yeah. Mean, you know, so how, how do you deal with it then? Or you're saying you thrive on that? I, ne- I need that. Mm. I actually need that. So in terms of I'm saying like you need distraction techniques, but like my mind like goes like 100 miles an hour constantly, you know, my wife always says to me, you know, I'm always thinking about the next thing and everything like in my work, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not just doing my job and like at the moment, like we're, to give you an example, you know, like if I'm dealing with like my employment cases, you know, I'm thinking like 10 steps ahead in every case, what I can do now on the next six weeks, I've always got a plan on everything, like for the business, you know, I'm developing websites and um, doing the rebrand and always like thinking what I can do next. But see that, in terms of my, like my mental health, that's 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 good for me because I'm I'm never I'm never stopping to think about anything else. It's always always thinking about stuff, and for me that's healthy. Yeah, you know, and that that's what when when I did feel stressed all those years ago, you know, that's that's what I didn't have because my focus was feeling unwell. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be waiting for like you know the cluster headaches to come and you know the feelings of anxiety mm. and and you know as soon as they come that's it mm. you know you're you're stuck you know the whole day and those you know feelings of impending doom constantly you know and honestly it was horrendous mm. i mean honestly i wouldn't have wished that on my worst enemy but um you know and then i read the book like when the gp tried to give me the prescription um I was like, I'm not going to read. I'm, I, I really don't want to take this. He's like, well, you can read this book. And I read this book and it was just all about distraction techniques. All about distraction techniques. So the, for me, that that was what worked in the What's end. the book? It was just like, you know what? You can get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I actually had it. I've given it to a few people I know. It's just like, you know, one of these like uh, managing anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just tells you about all the different types yeah. and all the distraction techniques. And um, yeah, so... Um, it's not something I really talk about much to be honest I, I, but you know people that are close to me know about it but you know people from the outside would see what I you know yeah. what, I, what I do next I don't think there's any sort of shame in saying well you know um, this is kind of what happened to me and yeah. I, you know and I, I got better and it's definitely something you know I carry it in my wallet still it's a constant reminder that I was able to do that yeah, you know. No, I agree. I totally agree, mate. I've actually still got got signed off work, but I didn't take it off work. <laughs> and I still got it in my top top drawer at work the fit note as well that I got yeah. from the doctor. I didn't actually take it off work, but it's there. It's just that constant reminder that yeah. you know you can do that. But you know, kids, kids like like kids are a massive. I mean, to be fair for me, the kids, you know, although I haven't felt like that for a lot of years. They're a great distraction, mm. but at the same time, for for somebody who is feeling unwell that can't get out, that having kids, that must be such a struggle. Yeah, it must be tough. Um, you've mentioned the employment law and stuff like that a few times. So let's let's turn our attention to that yes. employment law, workers' rights, such a kind of thing. Nah, big major. Floor is yeah. yours. <laughs> <laughs> Tell nah, us about it. Nah, I just it's it's 
out with my my wife and my kids and my family. It's just I, I, I just love it. Yeah, I just love it. Why? Um, so, for example, at the moment, you know, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. But when these people come in to see you, they're in they're normally in the sort of worst moment of their life. I don't know. I'm sure you'll have people that you know that have been through difficult times at work or they've been sacked. But like, <clears throat> I see the sort of collateral damage. Like the person, there, there isn't really a person that comes through the door that have been sacked that they're not, you know, they become unwell. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. They're worried about how they're going to pay their next bills. You know, their their kids are maybe not going to get the holiday or, you know, or just even the basic things that they need, you know. And you sort of sit there and you hear these stories and, you know, for me, it just hits hits home. You know, how would I how would I feel about that? So from obviously, you know, qualifying early, you know, that that that, that stuff really sort of struck a chord with me. And um, you know, when you see somebody going through that and knowing that you can make a difference, that's a privilege. I'd see it as a massive privilege to be able to do these cases because when somebody comes in and tells me the story, you know in the volume of cases we do, there are moments in cases where people haven't done the right thing, you know, by people, you know, so many cases to do, you know, it's a lot of scandal going on. People are making, sometimes people just get the decision wrong. They think they were doing right, but sometimes people are being really bad. They're playing with people's lives. And honestly, that's not on for me. That's not on for me. So I get the opportunity to present these cases and to put these people in the spotlight and you know when when they're there when it's me and them across a room you know and they're asking the, you know they're being asked the difficult questions um, that that for me honestly is so so rewarding there isn't I can't really remember a case honestly that I've done hundreds of tribunals but not many cases where my client doesn't turn around after say a cross examination of the person that dismissed them or something that's just an example it would be like, well, I don't care about the result. Just seeing them, you know, them under the microscope and answering difficult questions. Mm -hmm. But it's such a crazy thing though, because at the end of the day, if you ask these people who have made these decisions, is this how you would want to have been treated if it was you? And, you know, the answer is no. So with, with the employment stuff, um, that, I don't know what it is. It's just like, it's, it's a hard thing to describe, but it's just like, it's just there, you know? Um, and... I think I've been fortunate to do so many cases and there's been a lot of high profile cases. We've won them, you know, and we now it's just so big for us. We get I get instructions from all over and um and have done for years now. And, you know, we seem to be doing more than okay at it. So um it just keeps on getting better and better, mm -hmm. you know. And that's something over time, obviously you get better at your job, you get more experienced at your job as well. Yeah. Um I'm assuming the nerves the first time you've done it were it's totally different now. You're more settled to it. But is is it quite a, quite daunting when you're going to do that for the first time? Oh no, definitely. I think my first case was against a barrister from down south who was like really experienced. And um, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I mean I'm a lot more confident now, but back then, no, not really. Tough. Not like, you know, ten years ago, yeah. really. Um see the way I the way I learned was I was thrown it more or less the deep end and I did loads and loads of cases and a lot of those cases were against QCs and advocates where I'm like so out of my depth but every case you learn, learn, learn and that's the way I learned I did just loads of cases the funny thing is which is so true <clears throat> 
See, when I'm doing cases and I might be up against like one of the global firms or the big London firms, Edinburgh, Glasgow, and they write great letters. They always write great letters. But then you get to tribunal and, you know, the, the person, their, their advocacy skills and their ability to present the case often is nowhere near what it is. Now, there's a big misconception that lawyers win cases. The facts win the cases. You know, we are there to present them. But, like, the way I, I've got a very particular way that I go about cases, like, a, a, a sort of forensic approach where I break everything down and build it all back up and don't take anything for granted. And if you do it that way, <clears throat> you find the holes. You find, you know, you find the bits, the sore bits where it all went wrong and you sort of break it down and construct it. I think that's why we win that many cases because it's been doing it that way you're able to to find the bit but um, the, doing cases to begin with yeah no I mean that even when I do cases now it's, you're always nervous like you know you're always learning every case you learn something mm-hmm. and to be fair you know you win you, uh, you, I've always learned more from the cases that I lost than I won but, but you can't win them all like you, no you definitely can't you definitely can't you definitely can't do you remember the first one you lost how you felt um, do you feel defeated because it's probably happens quite early think, in your career uh, yeah yeah no no you do you do I think the worst than the first loss is the is losing the the first one that you think you should have won if that mm. makes sense okay There's no, not every case is a winner you know and as long as you're managing your client's expectations um you know, and that that's an important part of it. You know, see with my clients, I, the big thing that I am about is I've always got a great relationship with my clients. Like, you know, and help them. I'm always talking to them about the bigger picture. Okay, I'm doing this case for you. But, and you know, but look at this. This is everything that's going on. You know, this is this is part of the journey. But yeah. we were going next and always have a really great relationship with them, which is something I'm proud of, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, losing. Yeah, you learn. You learn a lot from your losses. You do. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a, a, an assistant at the moment who's fantastic. He's fantastic. You know, and you know, and it wouldn't be great if he was winning every case. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's won a few, but it's good for his confidence and so on. But um, you know, it's so complicated. It's so cases are so employment law is so legally com- complex that mm-hmm. you can't win everyone. You know, but. Um, I seem to attract a certain type of case. I do all sorts of cases, but I seem to attract now certain, because of cases that I've won, a certain type of like scandalous case. You know, um, like people will look, um, you know, the cases that I've been involved in and they're like, right, this is the guy that wanted to do that. And I'm always saying, look, I, I can't guarantee, I never say to anybody, I don't think I've ever said to anybody in 10 years, over 10 years, I'm going to win this case. I'm not the judge at the end of the day. I just say I'm going to do my best. And that's all I ever say to clients. Uh-huh. You know, when I sit up to three in the morning, you know, preparing the cases for however long it takes, you know, and that's what, that's just, you know, that's what it's got to be done. Um, the thing that terrifies me about tribunals is not being prepared. There was a case where, um, in the sort of early days, where I was totally taken by surprise about something that happened at the tribunal and I just wasn't prepared for it. And it was an absolute nightmare. And it's never happened again, you know. So preparation's everything. Mm. I've actually found that having kids makes me more prepared. You know what I mean? Because it's like if you've got if you've got three days to do something, you probably do it on the last day. But mm. you know, if you've got less time, it has to be done. You know. What's the feeling like in a courtroom? <sighs> With me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just in just in general, you know, I've never I've never sat in a jury. I've never had to sit in a court really, yeah. apart from. 
I think, you know, when you used to, you, you would sometimes go with your school to visit a court, but it was that yeah. long ago, you know, so, I mean... It's it, tense. It's always tense. Mm-hmm. I mean, p- litigation, suing people, or, you know, that's always the last resort. It always should be. In terms of, you know, dispute resolution, it should always be the last place that you want to be. Um, you know, it's the most, one of the most stressful things you can do, you know, people have sleepless nights and become very unwell over it all, you know, so in an employment case that maybe lasts six months or nine months, sometimes a year to get to the actual tribunal, you know, and it's all there in certain cases, um, you know, being in that room and, you know, as close as we are sitting now, you know, people are sitting across, like cross-examining people and these people in the room, it's, it's a hostile environment a lot of the times. It's a tense environment, you know, emotions are really high, trying to control your client. I mean, I mean, if I'm sitting cross-examining or listening to questions being asked, you know, you're trying to control your client, you're trying to listen to what's being said by the witness, yeah. you're trying to frame any questions that you might want to ask arising from that, you know, thinking of your next move, trying to prepare for the questions you're meant to be asking, you've got written submissions or oral submissions to do. There's a million one things going on. And it's exhausting. I mean, generally, there's like sometimes I could come at a tribunal and I feel more exhausted than I would like playing two like back to back games of fives. Mm. You know, it's, that's the way it is. You know, it's mentally exhausting. But I mean, some of the things you know over the years that have happened in tribunals, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's, it can get really heated and mm. you know, highly emotional. And so sometimes during a trial, you know, you've got it. You ever get that feeling? Yeah, yeah, no, there is. I mean, even when you feel that way, you don't say it, if you no. know what I mean. But there is, there is. So it might just be a feeling you go, I've got them. I've, you know, there's. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, one of the cases that people still speak to me about all the time is, I don't know if you've seen it, but the case I did against the Michelin a couple of years ago for the guy Stan Reed. Yeah, well, um, if people don't know, tell, tell yeah. us about it. So, I mean, where to start? Stan, uh, well, the, big, the main story is the fact that. You know, there was a family, two families that tragically lost um, family members. There was the the, the stabbing in Mid Craigie. You know, the female that was connected to it. That was one of Stan's friends, and also one of Stan's best friends. A guy who'd grown up with his whole life lost his son. Was the the young lad that tragically fell off the cliffs at Arbroath, and this all happened like in the space of a few days of each other. And Stan was obviously, you know, the young lad was family to Stan. And um, the the female who was 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 tragically stabbed to death, um, she was also a good friend of Stan. So, and that actually happened at the wake for the young lad. You know, it was crazy. You couldn't, you really couldn't write it. Stan took the the week off, and he was on searching the beach. You know, as he was all week for the thing, and then he took. On it was like the Sunday or something like that. He'd been searching all week. He wasn't mentally fit. He went through to Glasgow um, with his partner. To she was at a drinks event, and she says, "Look, come on, we'll go. You need to, you need to get out here, take your mind off things." And he went, and there was a picture on social media um, of them at some sort of event. And he'd been he'd been with the Mitchell for years, but they 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 just they sacked him, they sacked him for that. Um, basically, saying, "Oh, you, you you're on a jolly. How could you be doing that?" But it just made so many stereotypical assumptions along the way. And, you know, I remember saying to my best mate, I says, this case is going to be huge. Stan's case was funded by the union, right? 
which means that he was in the union they would have paid for it and he came he asked me to do it you know and um, yeah so I did it I just knew it was going to be a massive case a massive case and um, there was just so much going on I mean how on a human level these people even the managers couldn't couldn't see this you know but they were you know they were just so uneducated about mental health I mean they were like if you're off with that, then you should be lying, hiding under your bed covers, you know, um, or I, I, or worse, you know. That that was the impression they had, you know, and any doctor would say medical advice, get out there, do something, keep yourself busy, keep yourself active, type thing. And um, yeah, but that they just they just couldn't see it. And during that case, you know, um, I kind of knew they'd set up this big hitter, big hitter, solicitor, barrister, from um, London and I have a lot of respect for him very like esteemed like professional like you know guy at the top of his game and um, obviously he's he's a barrister which is like well, he might have even been a QC actually so technically leagues above me and um, but do, do you five again on that challenge yeah but that but I've been that I you know that's been a constant in my career is that, that a lot of employment law because it's complex a lot of the cases the big companies they all suck the advocates and QCs but I am i don't think they're any better than us I mean they are they have a certain level of legal training but if you go in and you're prepared you know your case and you present it we win cases against them all the time mm-hmm. you know so it, you know it's just the way it is but so he, he rocks up to this oh yeah and then you know to be honest <laughs> I started just before the case started I had a word on I just wanted to test the water and I remember saying to him about something which happened in the case and his response was just like nah I knew I knew that he wasn't on in the real world he had no idea there's a certain type of case that I don't know maybe it's me maybe I'm wrong about this but a certain thing I, I, I seen what this case was going to be and how this was going to impact locally right it wasn't just an unfair dismissal case see there were lawyers from down south Mitchell and other lawyers from down south looking at this and they just didn't see, like, on a human level and a legal level, how this was all going to blow up. They were just kind of looking at, like, straight up and down the line. And that was a big mistake. I never look at cases like, you've got to be aware of the sensitivities around the case and how big it can be. And um, he sat down and, you know, and I was just like, no, 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 this isn't, like, if this, you know, this is not going to go well for you. And, um, you know, honestly, by the end of the week, by the time the case, some of the evidence was just harrowing. Like, you know, it's like it was horrendous mm. but they all they all knew what was going on with him but they just you know thought he was at it which he wasn't and it provoked I mean when that case was going on I'd be walking down the tribunal I'd be seeing all the people I know and everybody was talking about it everybody was it mm. was a real interesting case because of all the stuff that happened but then it provoked a lot of discussion about mental health as well and by the end of the week you know they got they they got the message you know the you know the, the, the QC the barrister on the other side was just he looked like a different man you know because that's the bear pit for me and I was you know I gave that case everything mm-hmm. you know everything I wasn't just that wasn't for me just about stand there was a lot more going on there, you know and it's I'm not going to lie it's, it's hard to you know I sort of throw my passion at it you know and always toe the line but you know when you're in that you need to get in it mm. and there was a lot going on and a lot of people looking at that case but then afterwards, that was like global news, you know, like because obviously Mitchell French and there was all sorts of stuff going on about mm. it. Um, that's just an example. And seeing how that, you know, the, all the positive things 
I mean, overall, is that, one, is that one of the biggest cases you've won? Uh, Just overall, with everything else big, connected? Yeah, big, big for big for a few reasons. Big for a few reasons. But, um, you know, each case is sort of different, you know. Every case is different for their own stories. That's one that, like, totally struck a chord. Yeah. You know? Oh, I mean, um, like you're saying, the the big thing that came up was everything else that came with it. Yeah, yeah, the, that one. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. for for all the other things that got people speaking about it, because it, 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 it starts off really tragically. You know, it's not I just know. he's not I just know. been sacked because he's a number. Yeah, it's why they've done it, and then yeah. the backstory to it, it's like, yeah, I mean, how inhumane do you need to be as a, a boss or whatever? Just go, nah, that's I you. I mean, come on. I know. <laughs> it's just yeah, totally crazy, but. I just, yeah, and that's, but I think, you know, there's been many cases like that, but once once you get in there and you do that, you know, I just see it as a, a massive privilege to be able to, you know, to be able to fight them, you know, these cases. And I've got loads coming up, mm. you know, and the thing is 90% of cases settle and we are still obviously running loads and um, there's so many that settle that I wish wouldn't but it's not about me <laughs> so know. you know it's if that's what's best for yeah. for everybody involved then then uh, you know we'll do it but you know I treat every case the same like you know some of our clients are like CEOs to, to people who you know have got clean jobs and not getting minimum wage you know um, t- we'll take them all right. you know take take them all cases don't treat anybody differently at all you know so but yeah um Massive. I think everybody that knows me knows I'm. I'm not obsessed with it, but I'm massively passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But just because of that, that impact, you know, upon people when you when you see people coming in, you know, and it just everything's been affected by it. Yeah. There aren't many things like that. If somebody's having a rough time at work, what I would like to be, and the, you know, is that you know you've got your dentist and your doctor, and um, you that you know that you go to. I'd like to be. I like to be that guy that people think if we're in trouble, we'll go to him because mm-hmm. we know that he'll, you know, get in there. Yeah. Having kids, you know, I like to think myself that there's always there somebody to, you know, to look after your family and stuff. That's what I want to mm-hmm. be for people, but in the employment context, because it's such a big part of people's life. Yeah. And, and and that seems to be them going, you know, that seems to, we're busy enough, put it that way, you know? <laughs> Does the em- Employment law, the cases, does that kind of go hand in hand or alongside the workers' rights stuff that you do? Yeah, well? yeah. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, like dismissal cases, but workers' rights is everything. You know, mm-hmm. every, the cases that we have, you know, can be from like wages claims to unfair dismissal, discrimination, you know, whistleblowing, every, everything that goes, mm-hmm. everything comes through the door, you know. Um, you know, and it's not all, you know, it's not all it's not all about money and it's a business at the end of the day I mean that that's true and we're, we're lucky in that sense but you know there's cases I do like pro bono cases as well because what if you're if you work for a big organisation you don't really don't think you've got as much sort of leeway to, to do that type of thing but then last year well for instance there was a case the guy uh, William Tracy there was this thing on Facebook about this young guy that lost his grandchild in a, in a tragic accident and then he'd been sacked and it was connected to that and um, you know everybody on Facebook 30-40 people that tagged me in because there was an article about him that he was had this tribunal case and he wasn't represented everybody's like I'll go and see Ryan so I end up um, end up getting involved in that and yeah so and I did that pro bono and you know it's it's um, 
it's definitely rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely rewarding. It's not, a, but if you were, that's what I like about Dundee. You know, it's that in the firm that we're at, that yeah, you know, it's not. If I'd, you know, if I could be working in Glasgow or Edinburgh, but it would be, you know, I kind of know everybody here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's built up nicely. Yeah. Um, if you've done ten years. How does the next five year look for you? Yeah, well, it's really exciting because it's growing, growing, growing. You know, with with the work that we're doing, I think we've got a really good balance of everything we're doing at the work. You know, I mentioned it briefly, but we've developed developed this new website. We've changed our name from Mm -hmm. Muir Miles Lavery to MML MML Legal. Um, So there's loads of exciting stuff happening. You Mm -hmm. know, loads of exciting stuff happening. So the future, um, just just really the same. You know, If, if I'm doing what I'm doing five years time I'll be happy with that yeah. you know and um, you mentioned briefly as well you do a bit of teaching at the uni so yeah, yeah. tell us a bit about that then what do you do there so I run the employment law for the, the students that are on the diploma so it's like their their final year they've got to do the diploma to get qualified and then they go on to do their traineeship and uh, they can elect to do employment law so um, that's one of the subjects to do so yeah I'm the course organiser I've done that for about five years now it's really good. Good fun? Oh, it's great fun. It's great yeah. fun. It's quite surreal because in my mind, you know, I don't think it's that long since I was there myself. Um, but yeah, it's really, you know, the, the class I've got this year are great. Everybody, um, you know, the students, you know, they're a great bunch because they're not, you know, they're not like students that are just there. They've been there for five years. And um, so it's good. It's, you know, it's quite a bit of work, you know, marking assignments and getting materials ready and stuff, but I enjoy it. It's good. How often do you do that then? So I teach in semester two, so it starts in January and finishes in April. Okay, so you're doing that now? I'm doing it now, yeah. So it's not ideal sometimes because I'll be there from like nine to 11 Mm -hmm. and a couple of weeks ago, so I had a tribunal and I was literally left, you know, the scrimmager building on the Perth Road at like five to 11 and at 11 o'clock I was sitting cross-examining somebody in the tribunal but I, I say I enjoy it it's it is it's a lot of time but you know um you know maybe I've taught I don't know in the last five years a lot of students you know and come up against any of them yet not quite not quite not quite that'll be quite surreal yeah that'd be quite surreal but it's good to see them like I'm, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn mm-hmm. as well so I'm quite active on LinkedIn I say active, you know, I don't, I get a bit bored like seeing people like that post every day, but I do a lot of stuff, you know, I like to sort of do my thing when I do it, but um, yeah, I keep in touch with a lot of students on there mm-hmm. and it's great to see them all getting on, you know. What do you think of LinkedIn, by the way? Uh, it's a very strange tool. Yeah, I, I, I really like it. I really do like it. It is, if I'm being honest, I mean, it's been great for me. So mm-hmm. it's been great, but one thing that does my head in, right? And you know what? I say this, but there are a few people that I know that do this that I really, really like and it works for them, right? But I just don't like people who just post every day for and for the sake of posting. Yeah. It's fine if the content's there, but see that, like that, that just does my boxing. Yeah. I don't, uh, kind of same. So I, in our, in my day job, so we're on the, and there's, it's a lot to be on the industry, which I like, I don't yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. But again, I start seeing people that post every day and I just yeah. think you have to question why, why? Like yeah. I was always, I went, I've been on some of the social media courses, the marketing courses, whatever. And it's like three times a week will do you. Yeah. Yeah. 
as long as it's you know yeah. it's got a topic, it's got a flow and everything like that. And yeah. I go on sometimes and I just I scroll every morning I go yeah. on, right? It's yeah. one of my as soon as I open my PC, it's one of the tabs and mm-hmm. I always scroll and nine times out of ten I'll not go back to it that day. I just yeah. won't do it. I put a post up today as I rec- as this is getting recorded just about the podcast because I think some people are too serious on LinkedIn and I'm like, yeah, totally. I just liked, I mean, all mine was about having a hobby and being creative with it and the same thing we actually discussed when yeah. you come in and I put that up today just as a wee thing and actually just to gauge what it's got because I'll, I mean, on this, you know, I know you when you were fronting a band uh-huh. but I spoke to you tonight as being in that band but to being a solicitor at the top of his game and employment mm-hmm. law and all that kind of stuff. And if anyone else comes from LinkedIn that wants to come on and has a really interesting story, I yeah. So yeah. It's, things like that. I know it's not social media, but some of it's just yeah, it's it's <sighs> it's torture. It it's, really is. But you know what? It's 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 a really good tool. It's a good tool to have, you yeah. know, in in there. But I mean, some of the stuff that goes on. I mean, I get people messaging me all the time for free legal advice, like all the time, and. Um, but I think from what from see what I do, like I, I in the legal world, I probably stand out like a sore thumb. See, there's lots of lawyers in Glasgow and Edinburgh that know me mm-hmm. that could never speak or say the things that I say. Mm-hmm. I don't say anything that I shouldn't say, right? But if you look at like in the legal world, it's all very. Glo- I think it's quite strange. It's all very glossy, right? You know, this presenting this perfect image, the sharp suit, the sharp suit, or you know, the brand, and this is what we're doing. And a lot of them sort of present things that you know about different topics of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. We know that you're employment. We know that you know that, and we know that you've got that logo, and you've got this, and you do that, and all that. And I'm more about, you know, I guess more maverick. I just don't care. I'm just like, I like, if somebody's been shitty, I like to say, and I like to shove it, you know, down their throat, Mm. you know, and really get the message out there and say things that people wouldn't normally say, especially lawyers. But, you know, I I do give a shit, but I don't, if that makes sense. And and I tore kind of line where, you know, a lot of people say, will say to me regularly, it happened last week you know oh, I see see your post on your post on LinkedIn I like I love it you know you, it's so refreshing you know um, because it's I'm not you know like some sort of ro- robot from a big sort of global firm you yeah. know and and I think that's what the appeal is I'm my approach is not it's, it's a personal approach you know rather than this sort of like presenting you know this this brand that you know you can come come and you know pay us a fortune for i'm more about like no this is the real world and these are the things that are going on and if this happens to you this is what i can do mm-hmm. and here's the examples of that it's a really different approach and um yeah so linkedin's good for that yeah and you're not you're not a typical lawyer anyway <clears throat> or i nah. don't think you would ever call yourself a typical lawyer no nah, well funny you say that because i've got you know, um, one of my clients is a tattoo artist and obviously I had a couple of tattoos I didn't like. I ended up getting my whole arm done, as you can see. Yeah. And um, there was somebody that came in to see me like just last week and, you know, they could see my tattoo and they were like, right, you know, they've been waiting to see me for a few weeks and they were quite surprised at like, I don't know, maybe they had an image in their head what I'd be like, you've got tattoos, you know? And that's, I, I think that's quite interesting. It's like, what? Because got tattoos I can't do my job I don't know like you yeah. know what does you know what does a lawyer look like for me it's you know it's a job it's sales you know at the end of the day where it's no different you know 
it's a business and people have got to like you, like what you do. And it's sales at the end of the day, mm. you know? And um, yeah, no, so a lot of people say that not 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 had, a, I say, a, a normal journey or, you know, that. But no, I wouldn't describe myself as a typical lawyer. There's a lot of good lawyers out there. What's your uh, what's your opinion on TV lawyers? Um, <laughs> I'm assuming this could be a bit of a sticky subject because there's there's one in particular that's the man, <coughs> as we all know. Who who is that? It's got to be Harvey Specter, on that. Oh right, yeah, the man, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a man, yeah. isn't he? No, I know, I know, I know. He's a man. People always actually say that to me that you know, is it is it really like? Is it really like that? You know, is it really like that? Yeah. Meghan Markle worked in your office. <laughs> is, that, is that someone I missed? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. But the, the people do that watch that. You know, ask you if it's like. That. Have you watched that? Did yeah, watch I watched the first season. I watched the first season. Brilliant. I watched. No, it's and I did see it. I mean, it's it's a lot of you know sensationalized. I, 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 Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I mean, no joke, right? There are things that happen in our office, but it's not. It's not as glamorous, you know. We're not. We're not as glamorous as Harvey, right? He's the man. Uh, he's the man. He is the man, right? But it's not as glamorous as that. But there. <laughs> but in, on a Dundee scale, like we know everything that's going on, right? And um, yeah, so it's the Dundee. If you had the Dundee version of suits, I'm just not sure it would look the same. Track is. Ple- plenty, <laughs> plenty of scandal. Oh, bet. I, put, I wonder whether we could. Ha- I mean, the problem is, you know, you get these fly in the wall documents. Mm. I mean, having something that like that would be great for Dundee. Yeah. It'd probably be good, but it's, it's, it'd be hard to do in the legal world because yeah. it's, everything's, you know, confidential. You know, it's w- when um, when Big Paul was on and we were speaking about TV, this is episode one or two. It's one of the first ones we've done, and we're speaking about TV, and. Uh, he said to uh, he said his old man his, his old man used to be a copper and he yeah. said you need to watch Line of Duty it's brilliant and, yeah, he's yeah. Like, and his old man said it's a wee bit it's a wee bit made up though eh yeah. it's a wee bit fake yeah. and Paul's return was your favourite programme's Game of Thrones yeah well there so, you go. but it. for him you know that's a police police officer watching or a foreign police officer watching Line of Duty and thinking those are sure I'm imagining you're probably the same when you watch some of those shows you go yeah you definitely do I mean some of them are done like woefully you know like you know but Suits isn't actually that bad Suits isn't that bad I mean I mean obviously it's you know it's it's a different legal system but it's actually quite realistic I think these days you know there's so many people that watch these things that they need to have it quite accurate Mm. because then it becomes a bit you know um, yeah a bit a bit sort of nonsensical but no, it's uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting one. I don't know how I'd feel. I've done, I mean, a couple of times I've appeared on TV um, doing interviews after cases and stuff. I honestly, my, like, my, I've never heard the end of it. Eh? Like, never, <laughs> never heard the end of it. Just, I think one time I was on a boat, you know, like, so I was getting interviewed and I was obviously a bit nervous. I'm swaying side to side, but, you know, but I think that's the best thing about it. My mate's just sort of ripped me constantly yeah. about anything. It's so, the best way though, isn't it? Oh, no, definitely. Definitely. 100%. <laughs> but, um, so that's not your TV <clears throat> programme of viewing would be No, that, no. Or... What, I, at the moment, oh, I've just finished Power. I, I haven't watched that season yet, so let's not say nothing. No, but... no, but that was, that was up there. That's um, good, isn't it? Some good that, TV, that. That was amazing. Yeah. I mean. What else do you watch? Um, Love Island I'm not afraid to say it the only reason I'm listen my wife is obsessed with it but do you know know the truth right I know look at you you look like you look like you're about to on you yeah, go no yeah, no, on no. you go 
My wife watches it, right? That's the truth, right? So I'm not going to lie. Right, okay. <laughs> so, see after a long hard day, like I'm not even joking, some of the crap that we watch, right? It's like, see after a long intense day, sometimes I just need, if I'm what, I mean, the, once the kids are done, I watch and do a wee bit of work. I don't watch huge amounts of TV, but sometimes you just need to watch something which is just absolutely nonsense, you know? So, so Martin, who listens to every episode of this podcast, right? And he mm-hmm. listens to our other one. He's a good part. He's he's a good part of mine. He's in the same group chat of mine. And uh, in no place, he said one day in the group chat, uh-huh. "Love Island was good last night." Ah, uh, fatal, fatal error. Sorry, what? And he says, "No, I'm telling you." He says, um, "So I saw him uh, the other week at the match, mm-hmm. and uh, he says, oh, it's good in Love Island this week.'" This is what's happening. He says they're going into you'll know what it's called, Casa Moore or something. I don't know what they call it. They call <laughs> it something, right? And I went. Yeah. How have you gotten to watching this? He says, no, no. I've not just started watching that. I've yeah. been there for the start. That yeah. was it. The conversation was over. I was out of there. Do you know the thing is though, right? <laughs> See, watching that programme, right? I don't watch it every night, honestly, right? But, I mean, it's everything I would not want my kids to go up and do. You know what I mean? It's just everything I would not want any of my kids, you know, uh, to, to, to want. It's just very superficial. Like, but, you know, it's, here, it's the way it is, but... In terms of what I watch, I mean, I'm obsessed with like prison documentaries and, and like box sets and stuff like yeah. that, you know, and always like, sports channels always on, you know, mm. always obsessed with the football yeah. like, constantly. But nah, Power was a good one. Yeah, Power was good. I, I, let's say I'm miles buying on that. I haven't I haven't watched this season of Silent Witness yet. I'm miles buying on everything. Absolutely miles behind on, yeah. there on was, stuff. There was, but... I don't know if you've seen it, but there was a really good uh, documentary on the BBC about three or four weeks ago. It was actually one of the first times in a Scottish legal history they filmed a full high court trial. No, but I'm going to try and find that now. Yeah, it was an abs- it's very, very interesting. Very interesting. So it's actually filmed at the High Court in Glasgow and they follow the trial from the start to the end and it's a strange, it's a strange case. It's about a, 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 it's a murder of this woman. The body was never found and she hadn't been seen for 20 years, but she was allegedly looked after by this couple and um, follows them. It's really, really strange, but very, very interesting. And, mm. and you sort of asking questions about, like, you know, about the court process and that. Really, really interesting, that one was. Yeah. And uh, definitely worth a watch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned it, your wife and kids. You've got another one on the way. What's yeah. family life like for yourself? Like, the best thing that ever happened, in all honesty, but it's crazy. It's crazy. Mm. The kids are... How uh, long have you been with your other half? Uh, 10 years Saturday passed we've been together married um, several years okay several years because you can't remember no I can't I'm going to have to say the date it's the 28th of December 2012 (laughs) otherwise you'll think I'm not um, I've forgotten no I haven't so so she your your significant other come on the scene just as you were training in the band yeah so that's quite interesting no she never seen me play in the band Never. She didn't know. Probably wouldn't she didn't be know. with you, to be fair, if she saw those that... moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so true. That is so true. I think she would say the same. Yes, uh, she would. No, she would. Honestly, that is very true. Very true. Yeah, so afterwards, just sort of to start my traineeship, yeah, we met then. She's she's a lawyer as well. Oh, um, why quite, not? Well, no, no, we were speaking about this, but I actually knew that um, I sent her a creepy message on Facebook. I know. I know it's it's creepy, but um, yeah, I actually knew we were going to marry her. That's the truth. Really? Yeah, weird. Wow, weird, weird. I know. I mean, you didn't tell her that, did you? 
No, but in the first message, what? you said it was. You said it was creepy. You just had to find no, out. No, no, I just introduced myself, but I, I just, I, I, I you made an arse of it. I knew that. Nah, I made, I made an arse of it. Yeah. I made an arse of it yeah. definitely. But I knew, I knew there was, I knew that she was going to be the one. No, it's quite strange, and it turned out to be the case. But now, two, two kids, two kids, Ruby and Archie, like they're just yeah. So it's all about the kids. When, when I, um, best thing that John, John Muir and. Uh, Billy Boyle ever said to me, we used to go lunch with them, you know, like two old school guys, you know, were like, you know, always make sure you're there for your kids. Mm. So that's kind of like my golden rule. I see the kids like, you know, in the morning and I'm always there for them every night. Yeah. And then, but that means I've got, you know, I'm normally doing work, not every night, but a lot of nights, but always go home for the kids. You kind of get that time back. No. And, um, you know, we're, we do everything together. You know, right. so everything, you know, the weekends and going out is kind of few and far between. You know what I mean? So, um. Yeah. So, but that that's that's a game changer. That was a massive game changer. You know. Was it a shock? Was it planned? <sighs> yeah. No. No. All planned. All yeah. planned. Yeah. All planned. But yeah, definitely, definitely a game changer. Having kids for for the better. So how old are they now? Five and Ruby's five. Actually, be three in April. But just and gives you a lot of perspective. There's another one on the way quite yeah. soon. Yeah. 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 So June, middle of April. Yeah. So, okay. So we don't know what will happen, but we'll wait and see. All right, surprise. Okay. But um, but massive amount of perspective having kids. You yeah. Know, especially see when you're doing employment law, I mean, you've got like maybe like 50, 60 cases you could be dealing with any one time. And it's very contentious. Everybody's, you know, it's stressful. You're fighting with everybody, you know. Uh, every, everybody's fighting, you know, before it gets to you. And then it's, it's very contentious, you know, and, and it is stressful. But, you know, after having kids it kind of changed me you know I was like oh but now I'm just doing it mm-hmm. and getting on with it I'm going home to see the kids at the end of the night and switch off and you know you know that 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 sort of kind of puts everything in perspective really yeah you know which is so which is a good thing so know? life's good you know what never take it for granted um enjoy every day no nah, definitely just, I don't want to make it too somber but there's things kind of been going on and happening you know it's like um, that yeah genuinely don't take it for granted you know what I mean family and friends it's that's kind of everything you know Mm -hmm. so and uh, I'm assuming the the slightly not I'm saying you've got a calm atmosphere at home but when a a newborn comes along it'll be back to the middle of the night feeds and all that kind of stuff yeah I know I know (laughs) I think kind of you you know you don't you don't get as much chance to think about it you know Mm. first time round it's you know, all about the baby and then, you know, the second one comes along and that. And, but, you know... So this like, will be easy work. The kids are crazy. Like, kids <laughs> are full on. Any, any great way, but, like, they're both absolutely mad. Uh, uh, in a great way. Just just crazy great kids. Yeah. You know, and so... And there's a lot of hilarity and, you know, I'm... I could probably be, you know... I just... There's a lot of hilarity, you know what I mean? I let them away with murder and stuff yeah. like that. So Whereas mum doesn't. No, she's just much better. She's just much better. Yeah. Yeah, I would, you know, <laughs> she's she's just more disciplined than me. You know, I'm I'm kind of anything for an easy life, to be honest. Like you know, which um, isn't always great, but yeah, it's the truth. Is the oldest one at school then? Yeah, she yeah. just started. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a big thing as well. Yeah, no, so. I know it's kind of weird, eh, though, because like things happen, you know, and you think you see everybody else doing these things over years, and you think that's never going to be me. And you know, and then it's you. I'm still saying that. Yeah. At 37. Yeah. Just add that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But that's kind of what happens. One of those scary moments in life when you're like, that's, that's me. That's actually, mm. 
No, that's me now. But um, yeah. See, I mean, I'm. I think I'm 36, so maybe 37. Mm. But I just don't. That's, that's the thing. I'm still in my mind, probably about mid twenties. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Hey, it's not a bad place to be. No, no, I know, but um, yeah, I think I, th- I think that happens, though, don't you? Like when you look, you know, even when you're watching like TV and things like that. And you're like, you know, dude, you see somebody going on Love Island that might be in 30 and you're like, God, they look a bit old. And I'm like, I'm seven years older than them. It's like, do I really look that old? I, t- I tell you when you find it, when you're actually looking out at people going out and you're going, they're actually going out wearing that? Yeah, I know. They're not putting a coat on? I know. It's about two degrees out there. Didn't stop us back in the day. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, I was in fatties at um, Christmas time. Fat well, say fat, I said not even called that anymore. But yeah. I was I was there briefly, but I mean <laughs> briefly. Briefly, you know. <laughs> some sites. Worst night outs will do that to you. Yeah, no, they they do, they do, they do. That's what happens. But I just if I'm gonna I just prefer to go to the pub for a few beers and catch up, yeah. you know, and then last bus home. It's, yeah, it's a winner. Yeah. Every time it's a winner. Yeah. Seems like a good day. When was the last time you were in a club? Oh, apart from working in one as a as well, yeah, no, as a pain punter. Yeah. Can you tell you? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Probably, well, Duke's a few weeks ago, um, and then the casino at five in the morning, because uh, that's know, a grown-up thing to do. Bothers, yeah, no, that you was, that, that is true, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, it's not like, no. you know, you're like, let, let's go, like oh. man, like the days of the Mardi and stuff like that. No, let's go to the Mardi. They, they, were, they were good they days. Were good days. They, were, they, were, they were good days. They're for another day, that's for sure. No, no. Um, listen, mate, I'm looking forward to the album coming out. I really am. Yep. It's yep. going to be a uh, blast in the past. It's it's going to be fun. It's yeah. it's going to be fun. You know, it's um, you know, back then all we had was MySpace and buying the CD off you and stuff like that. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun as well, mate. I've really enjoyed this. No, I've um, I have to. Thanks so much for having me. To, to get more sort of information on what you do and you know, just the boy that I see giving quotes to the papers at the time about things you're doing and, and being yeah. on and just keep doing what you're doing, mate. You know, no, it's the best that. thing and. If Mark will come on and throw you under the bus, I'll be welcome. You know what? I'll, I'll have to. I'll give him a wee text. I think he would. Do, could you do that? Yeah, yeah of course up. we can. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah. We can easily do that. You'll Technology now. I might live to regret that. I might <laughs> spill a few secrets. You know, but I'm all for a it. Legal, legal career will be over. To be honest, <laughs> well, at least you'll get good representation. Ah, uh, well, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Listen, mate, it's been a pleasure, Ryan Russell. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, pal. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it and leave a review or a rating. If you didn't, then let's never speak of it again. These are the days.